Now, a few days before Christmas, I was in our local Sainsbury's uh, to pick up uh, some groceries, uh, and the place was a little exciting at the time, and there was a little buzz going around, so I wondered what was going on. Uh, you know, it's, it looks interesting, but it was quite interesting. I thought, this, this, should be, this is probably more than just Christmas excitement. Uh, it didn't take long for me to realize that the reason why everybody was around happy and excited uh, was because the National League football team, Blackpool, uh, had dropped by. They had been staying at the Marriott Hotel, and they decided to do a bit of shopping. So sometimes when they are playing Charlton, they come, teams come at, uh, at the Marriott, and uh, they, they like sort of shopping at Sainsbury's. And they were staying there, and everybody was very happy to see them now come and do this shopping. They just like, obviously, National League is not the premiership, but everybody was happy to see them. And they were keen to talk to them. And, of course, they were taking the selfies. Uh, the selfies, they, everybody was there, you know, trying to get a photo uh, with these footballers. It was all very interesting. The selfies, of course, are the craze of our age. People nowadays, when they see someone famous, they don't even ask for an autograph. They, they now ask that they take a photo with them just to prove to their friends, to proudly show off to their friends that they ha- were with the celebrity. The, when I think about the selfie, it, it says a lot about us as human beings, isn't it? The selfie projects the fact that we are self-focused. That's why it's called a selfie. We are very self-focused. And yet, at the same time, we care a lot about what people think of us. So on the one hand, we are very self-focused, but on the other hand, your opinion matters about me. Oh, my opinion of you matters. We we are self-focused, but we care what others think. All of us here want to be admired by everyone, especially the people in our lives. And if we are honest, all of us want to be better than others. The Bible calls this pride. That's the word. And it warns us about it. Look at Proverbs chapter 16, verse 5. It says this. Everyone who is arrogant in art is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. You're going to read that again. It says everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, you will not go unpunished. Notice it does not just say arrogance or pride is an abomination. It says the person who is arrogant or prideful is an abomination to God. Pride is dangerous. This evening we are discussing pride. What is pride? How does it manifest itself in our lives? And of course, the most important question, what is the cost of pride? And how then do we respond and avoid that cost? Look with me at Judges chapter 12, our main text this evening. We'll look at verse 1 to verse 6, and there are just a few truths I want to share with you. They are in front of your outline. The first truth we learn from this passage is that everyone is prideful. Everyone in this room is prideful. We have seen here that the people of Israel have done the impossible. Do you remember? They have won the war against the Ammonites. They have defeated them. They have dealt them a great blow. We looked at that in chapter 11. 
And what is happening now is that all of Israel, perhaps exception of Jeff Tazars, where you know, he's made this tragic vow, but everyone in Israel is celebrating this great victory that they have achieved. And there's a party, I'm sure, going on in every house, in Gilead, especially. But the author of Judges switches the camera from the celebrations of this great victory in Gilead to a large army now that is marching across from western Israel, passing through Jordan and entering Gilead. Look at verse 1. The men of Ephraim were called to arms. You're wondering, what's going on here? We had peace. Where were they going to fight? And they crossed to Zaphon. They are on a march. And later on we find out that there are over 42,000 soldiers here. They have come a long way. Ephraim is western Israel and they have marched all the way from western Israel. They've crossed the Jordan into eastern Israel now. They are in Gilead. And sadly, they are not just many of them. They are carrying, it seems, a very large chip on their shoulders. Let's read on verse 1. And the men of Ephraim were caught to hands, and they crossed to Zaphon. And they've come to see Jephthah, and they said to Jephthah, Why did you cross over to fight against the Ammonites, and did not call us to go with you? We will burn your house over with fire. We can picture them, these 42,000 men, shouting at Jephthah. Who do you think you are? How can you lead a fight against the Ammonites without consulting us? We didn't receive any consultation documents with three months to respond to it. Are you in charge of Israel now? Now let us just pause the video there for a moment. We are outside Jephthah's house, okay? What do we see? As I said, we see 42,000 men holding dangerous weapons. And we see that these men have come to kill their judge, Jephthah, the judge of Israel. And if we look closely at these men, we realize these are, the men of Ephraim are children of Israel. These are not Canaanites. These are God's people. But they have become so infested with pride, they would kill for it. And this is the first point we need to realize here. Everyone, including the people of God, is prideful. We are all here in this room prideful. So what exactly is pride? Pride is that ugly part of your heart that makes you care more about yourself and your reputation than you care about God and other people in your life. Pride says, I I must be first in everything. Pride says, I deserve this and I must have it and I must have it now. (coughs) Pride says, I am what matters most. So my interest must be pursued over above my wife, over above my kids, over above my friends. Pride enthrones itself as number one. Now, everyone here knows pride is a sin, so I'll spare you that. I think you know that already, okay? You know or no, right? We can all raise our hands that, yes, we know pride is a sin. 
Your problem is not lack of knowledge that pride is a sin. No, your problem is much bigger. Your problem is that you are proud. But you don't think your proudness is a big problem for you. And that is what makes your pride very dangerous to you and everyone in your life. And the reason we don't think pride is a big problem for us is that we like comparing ourselves to other people who we think are worse than us. As you sit here, you probably think your sins are not as bad as John, who swears a lot. You think you are not like Sue, who is struggling with sexual purity. You think you are not as horrible as Jill, who struggles with drug addiction. But friends, we need to realize that we are all very prideful. We are an abomination before the Lord. Why? Because pride is behind every sin we commit against God. And there's no one here in this room who can say he's not a sinner. All of us here, we are all great sinners. And that makes all of us here very prideful people. Your pride is the reason you get so angry sometimes. Your pride is the reason you tell lies. Your pride is the reason you're selfish. Your pride is the reason you want what you can't have. You do these things because you believe you deserve what you don't have. You sin against God because you think you know better than God. Every time we sin against God, we are saying, I matter more than God. That's what sin is. Sin is self-worship. Pride is the reason you struggle to share your struggles with other people in your life. You struggle to share your problems because you care more about what others think than what God thinks of you. Everyone is prideful. And this is the first lesson we learn about pride from this passage. Everyone is prideful. Here's the second thing we learn from this passage. And this is why it matters. Pride turns us against one another. So lesson number one, everyone is prideful. The second lesson we learn is that pride turns us against one another. Let's go back to the men of Ephraim. Where did we leave them? We left them outside Jephthah's house, okay, trying to destroy their judge. They are out there. They have come to kill their judge. The question is, how will Jephthah now react to what they have come to do? Let's look at verse 2. How we react. Look at verse 2. And Jephthah said to them, I and my people, so they are saying, we come to kill you. Jephthah, Jephthah says this in verse 2. And Jephthah said to them, I and my people had a great dispute with the Ammonites. And when I called you, you did not save me from their hand. We pause there. It's going to continue. What Jephthah is saying is, look, you guys, you want to kill me? Okay, fine. But remember, you guys are liars. You are trying to reap where you did not sow. I called you, and you didn't come to fight. Now, remember, they said, Jephthah didn't call you. Jephthah said, no, you guys are liars. I did call you, you didn't turn up. So what we have here is a contest of narratives. What we have essentially is, he said, she said. We don't know who's telling the truth here. 
But I think we can be reasonably confident if you've been with us through Judges that I think, you know, I'm siding with Jephthah on this one. I think the track record of the, the people of Ephraim is obvious. We know this because they're doing the same thing here that they did to Gideon. When Gideon was fighting the Midianites, they came out and they accused Gideon that Gideon didn't call them. And Gideon is not Jephthah, of course, for good reason. Gideon pampered them. And Gideon, you know, diplomatically spoke with them and, and he gave in to them and he accommodated them and he made them feel good. He says, look, no, you know, you guys have done a great job. You've done more than me. And they're hoping for that same result. You know, pride is like this. People who are prideful, they always want you to tell them something good, to make them feel good. And, and that's what they want here. But you see, they're messing with the wrong guy. Jephthah is not a man to intimidate. He's, he's Western, he's, you know, Gideon you know, is, you know, is, is a great fighter, but Jephthah, no, I mean, this is a different league. Jephthah did not run the streets of Top by giving in to bullies. I mean, this guy used to be a crime boss in Top. He didn't become a crime boss by having a, few, a bunch of people telling him what to do, no. So he says to them politely, go away. Look at verse 3. He says this, And when I saw that you would not save me, I took my life in my hand and crossed over against the Ammonites, and the Lord gave them into my hand. Why then have you come up to me this day to fight against me? He's like, I don't get this. I mean, what are you guys doing here? I mean, you shouldn't even be here. Now, at this point, Ephraim should back down. They should realize they're dealing with a different guy compared to Gideon. But you see, they're so prideful and like a spoiled child who cannot get what they want. What do they do? They turn to insults. You know, they say that, you know, ridicule is the first and last argument of a fool, isn't it? And that's what they're doing here. And they're behaving like fools. Why? Because Jephthah is the wrong man to insult. He has had enough. Look at verse 4 to 6. He says this, And then Jephthah gathered all the men of Gilead and fought with Ephraim. And the men of Gilead struck Ephraim. Because they said, You are fugitives of Ephraim, you Gileadites, in the midst of Ephraim and Manasseh. That's just an insult. They're saying like, you guys are nothing. You know, you are just fugitives. They're, they're now starting, these are racial insults, actually. They are insulting uh, the men of Gilead now because of their pride. And, and verse 5 tells us, And the Gileadites captured the fords of Jordan against the Ephraimites. And when any of the fugitives of Ephraim said, Let me go over, the men of Gilead said to him, Are you an Ephraimite? And when he said no, they said to him, Then say, Shibboleth. And he said, Sibboleth, for he could not pronounce it. They then seized him and slaughtered him at the fords of the Jordan. So there's killing going on here, and people now, the, the Ephraimites are being slaughtered, they are being identified. Interesting enough, the very thing that they used against Gilead by saying they are nobodies, they are a different clan, is what has been used with them to identify their accent, if you so to speak, and using that to completely slaughter them. But the main point here is that 
the pride of Ephraim has turned, did you notice, God's people against one another. And friends, this is what pride does to all of us. You need to face up to pride in your life because your pride is not private. Your pride is not private. It destroys people around you. Your pride works against this church. Because you think you are what matters most, you want your Sunday worship to suit your personal taste. You want to sing the hymns you like. You want to sit where you like sitting nowhere else. You want prayers just to be the right length for you. You want to leave church after service at the time that suits you. We have to have members who are just like us and laugh to our jokes. That's all pride. That's what pride does. And of course we want church officers to do what we want. And the moment the church officer does something you don't like, you're already complaining and having and about. Why? What is that about? Pride. Pride promotes conflict and enmity. Where there is pride, there can never be any reconciliation. Because you see, pride kills love for one another. But friends, pride doesn't just destroy fellowship in the church. Pride destroys our families as well. Show me a family quarrel and I'll show you two prideful people. It's that simple. Show me a family quarrel and I'll show you two prideful people. We quarrel in our homes because it is our way or the highway, as they say. We are too prideful to confess our failures and our sins to each other. In any quarrel, if there was just one person, it wouldn't take long, who was very full of humility like the Lord Jesus, it wouldn't take long for any conflict to be resolved. Consider what a person full of humility would do when somebody offends them. Every Christmas they send them a Christmas card. And a person chats that way, but they keep doing it. Why? Because they are full of humility. Every time they take time to do what they can to let that person know I'm praying for you and please pray for me because I'm a sinner too. They'll be reminding the other person of how much they are sinners and full of pride. It doesn't take long if one person is full of humility to resolve any issues. Conflict remains unresolved because of our pride. Everyone is prideful. And in our home especially, pride continues. Why does it continue? Because we're too prideful to confess to each other our sins, and we're too prideful to seek biblical counsel to help us through those difficulties. So that's the point, from point number two. Point number one, everyone is prideful. Point number two, pride turns us against each other. But it's worse than that, and this is our final point. It's worse because God opposes the proud. God opposes. This is why it matters. God opposes the proud. Let's go back to verse 6. We see that the new civil war in Israel has led to huge loss of lives. But did you notice there how it really ends in verse 6? Let's read verse 6 again, just a second part and finish that. It says, Then they seized, 
they seized him, they seized the person and slaughtered him at the falls of the Jordan. But look at what verse 6 says. At that time, 42,000 of the Ephraimites fell. Did you notice that? 42,000 people have been slaughtered here because of pride. Something interesting here is that all the deaths are all on one side. Did you notice that? This is an interesting war. Only one side suffers massive loss of life. Because of this tactic, of course, they've been using of identifying, killing little by little. And this is, you know, hard work, having to ask everybody this question and kill them. Why is it only the Ephraimites die in this terrible civil war? Because the author of Judges is drawing us to understand that it is the pride of Ephraim that is being judged here. You see, if Ephraim got away against, against Gideon, God graciously spared them when they were prideful. But now God has used Jephthah and the people of Gilead to oppose the pride of Ephraim to bring severe discipline. 42,000 lives lost. Now, that's a lot of lives. Now, and you may ask the question, does this mean God approves of how Jephthah has handled this issue? We know Jephthah is prone to doing all kinds of crazy things, as we saw this morning. So we're wondering, you know, does God approve of this? No. I think I would say, well, it is excessive. Perhaps I shouldn't say no. What I would say is that not everything the way Jephthah has handled it gets God approval here. Because humanly speaking, 42,000... It's a loss of lives. It's a lot. But let us remember here that Jephthah is acting as judge of Israel. And let us remember that God is bigger than our sin. And sometimes he works through sin as we see see through in Samson's life to bring about severe judgment. The issue is not to do with how Jephthah is acting. The issue is that God is against the pride and is using Jephthah to punish the pride of Ephraim. God is sovereignly opposing Ephraim. And this is the key lesson I want us to take away this evening. God does not just see your pride and walk away. Your pride must be severely punished. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 says this. You should know this by heart. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. Why? For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. When Satan became prideful, God ejected him from heaven. When Adam and Eve tried to be like God, God evicted them from the Garden of Eden. Why am I using those two examples to remind us that God is committed to destroying all pride? Because your pride is an abomination to Him. And this is a huge problem for all of us here because as I said at the beginning, everyone here is prideful. All of us deserve this severe treatment that Ephraim is getting. But this is why the good news of Jesus is priceless, isn't it? The good news of Jesus is that God knows you are a walking abomination. God already knows that. And yet God in his rich mercy has sent his eternal son, the Lord Jesus, 
to live a perfect life of humility for you. Jesus on the cross, Jesus has gone to the cross to die for your pride, for my pride. He has died to exchange his perfect humility for my sinful pride. Are you trusting Jesus this evening? Well, the good news is that you are no longer an abomination before God. The good news is that if you're trusting Jesus this evening, you are wearing the robe of humility custom made for Jesus himself. His robe of righteousness has been put on you. His perfect humility is now how God sees you. If you're a true follower of Jesus, God looks upon you without any pride whatsoever. I mean, you've got to take that in. When God is looking at you, he's not looking at an abomination. He's looking at his son, you in Christ, in Jesus, in perfect righteousness. And this changes everything. It changes everything because if you know you're in Jesus, you do not have to pretend this evening that you have no pride. You know, sometimes you... <laughs> it's hard work convincing people they have pride sometimes when you're talking to them. Oh, I don't have any pride. People say that. Those sort of things. But even if they tell you they have pride, they don't really believe they have massive pride. But you see, if you're a follower of Jesus... You can hold your hands up. You know, my name is Chola and I'm very prideful. You can do that. Because the gospel changes everything. If you know you're in Jesus, you do not have to pretend this evening you have no pride. There is no need to immediately assume your conflict with another person is the other person's fault. You could start with the fact that you are a massive contributor because you are prideful. Because the gospel has made you see that already. There is no need to pretend that you have no pride because your standing before God does not depend on the size of your pride. It depends, as we learned this morning, on the grace of God. So instead of pretending you have no pride, accept you are prideful. Accept that your pride is working against this church. Accept that your pride is working against your family. But do not stop there. Thank God that Jesus has paid the price for your pride. And the best way for a truly born-again person to thank God is to repent of any evidences of pride that you're seeing in your life. Oh, friends, how can you hold on to pride when your best friend, the Lord Jesus, has died for your pride? Bring your pride before God. Repent from it. Do you get upset when others are getting their attention and you are not getting their attention? If you do, it is your pride. Bring it before God. Repent of such pride. Are you shy at sharing Jesus with others publicly or in private? The reason you feel shy at doing that is because of your pride. You are ashamed of the gospel. It's not secular opposition. Repent of your pride. Ask Jesus for his mercy. Are you always getting upset at how others are doing things and feeling you're missing out? It is your self-centeredness. It is your pride. Repent of your pride. 
We can go on and on. You, you know in your own heart, you know there are problems you are facing perhaps right now that if you are being honest, you are not approaching them in humility. You are, you are prideful and you have things in your life, conflicts that you have not resolved. You have not resolved those because why? Because you are holding on to your privileges. You are holding on to your position. Friend, repent of your pride. Come to Christ and plead His mercy. Sadly, many people find true repentance of, of pride very hard to do. Pride, I have to admit, even for myself, even for all of us who have been working with Jesus for many years. Some of you have done this with Christ for decades. Pride for all of us is very hard to repent of because we can justify and justify and justify our pride. Therefore, it is hard to repent of pride. But as a true believer, you have to repent of pride. You should want to repent of pride. If there's no desire in your heart to truly repent of pride, it means you're not truly converted. It means you have not truly come to that position of seeing how wonderful, how exciting the Lord Jesus Christ is for you. It means the work of the Spirit has not taken place in your heart to transform you, to make you long to be like Jesus. The Puritan John Flavo says this, Man, by his apostasy into sin, has become a most disordered and rebellious creature. In his self-dependency, he opposes God as a sustainer. In his self-love, he opposes God as the chief good. In his self-will, man opposes God as the highest Lord. In his self-seeking, man opposes God as the highest end. But here is the but. And this is the but. This is important. But by regeneration... The recreation that takes place in our heart. The disordered soul is set right. Self-dependency is replaced by faith. Self-love is replaced by love to God. Self-will is replaced by subjection and obedience to the will of God. And self-seeking is replaced by self-denial. What Flavio is saying is that if you are truly converted, you have a new nature. Pride is not your default. You have a new heart now that wants to be like Jesus. Yes, you still sin. Yes, you still be prideful. But if you're truly born of God, you want your life to become more like Jesus in his humility. You desire every day to carry the towel, to carry the basin, and wash other people's feet. Because that's what your Savior does. You belong to give yourself to others. But if you are continuously refusing to confess your pride, if you have no genuine desire to please turn to God, to ask God to change you, then you are not truly converted. If all you have are calculations and responses and justifications for your pride, then you are on perilous slopes. Because if that is your situation, friends, I plead with you, take a serious look at these 42,000 Ephraimites lying dead in the Jordan. 
They are lying dead there as our example. They are there slain to show us that God rebuffs the proud. And his judgment on the proud is very severe. The slaughter of Gilead is a foretaste of your eternal punishment. It is here to warn you that God's wrath is resting on you if you have not truly repented. You may sit here this evening very comfortable, but your future is very bleak indeed if you have not come to Christ. Amy Carmichael says this, those who think too much of themselves don't think enough. Did you get that? Those who think too much of themselves don't think enough. And I would add that they don't think enough of God's terrible judgment that awaits those who are prideful. Friends, your only refuge from God's judgment on the proud is to turn to Jesus, to run to Jesus and find shelter in him from God's terrible judgment. Come to him. If you have not surrendered your life to Jesus, it's not about church attendance. It is complete surrender to the work of Christ. Only in Christ do we find complete shelter from the wrath of God upon this world. So come to Christ. Depend on him. God is offering you a clear choice this evening. Run to Jesus and find safety from God's judgment. Or perish with sinners in their pride. I pray that you choose life with Jesus this evening. Amen.